This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, very good. Well, with Thanksgiving coming upon us, uh, man, I've been thinking about some of the things that I'm thankful for that God's done in my life over the years, and I'm, I'm just like every single one of you. God's done a lot of really big, undeniable things in my life that, I mean, it, it's it's... If, if we start to lose sight of what God's done for us already, because we're just so much begging for the next thing, that's not a good way to live your Christian life. And, uh, and, and I've seen that a lot of times Christians, they lose sight of what the Lord's already done for their life in the past. And we're going to look at a, at a few reasons why that can be a dangerous place to live in. But I, you know, most of you know my story, how I had leukemia when I was three and a half and I became crippled and all this really bad stuff was happening. I was in a children's hospital for a long time. And so it was obviously it was rough, even though I was a little kid. But I've never forgotten about that. I mean, even I've got memories that even even, you know, that 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 even though I was so little that that I still have. And that's that just that right there has really been enough all my life to think, how could I walk away from God? How could I turn my back on him when he brought me through that? How do you turn your back on that? How do you forget about something like that. And I'm not the only one. We've got many testimonies. I mean, Dylan was healed of cancer, Pam, my dad, so many people in here that have been healed of that same type of thing, but also lots of other big things. And so it's a dangerous position to be in when you lose sight of what God's already done in your life. And the title tonight is this, Don't You Remember? And you'll see where I got that out because Jesus used that phrase, when he was uh, talking to the disciples in a certain situation. But I'm challenging you tonight that you need to start thinking and remembering of some of the things that God's already brought you through, not just begging for the next miracle, not just begging for tomorrow's manna, but stopping to say, thank you, Jesus, for yesterday's manna. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did in my life today. Thank you. Thank you. And and it seems like such an elementary, such a simple thing, but I'm telling you right now, the majority of people, and I will stand by this statement, the majority of people are not actually thankful people. And I mean, that sounds like a mean and a bold thing to say, but I stand by that statement, and, I, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll prove later on why I kind of stand by that. But I want to look at tonight three things, okay, so follow along, because... There's something for you tonight. Three things uh, that will happen to you when you forget what Jesus has already done for you. Three things. The first thing I want to say is this. Number one, you become fearful. Fear, when you forget that you serve the miracle maker, right? The, we sing the song, The Way Make. When you forget that you have Almighty God on your side, when you forget that he parted the Red Sea in your life at one point, when you forget that you were in the lion's den and he shut their mouths, when you forget that you were in a fiery furnace and you walked out not even smelling like smoke, when you forget about that stuff, something else will come up in your life and you will actually begin to become afraid of something even much smaller than what you've already beat the first time around. And so what I want to show you tonight is something, I mean, this story, is, it's, it's almost comical, but it's in Mark chapter 8. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 8, and here's where I get the title from tonight. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 21. Mark chapter 8, 
But I'm telling you right now, uh, the disciples, they were with Jesus every day for three and a half years. They saw Jesus more closely in person than, I mean, anybody had. But even they would lose sight of who Jesus is. Even they would forget what Jesus had already done right before their very eyes. And so I'm telling you, if they could forget, if they could lose sight, I know that we can. And so Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look here at verses 16 through 21. It says, at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So here we are, these 12 mature men that are so close to Jesus, they're fighting over bread. That sounds like something that my three-year-old does with his siblings. I mean, we're talking about some mature guys right here. So they began to argue over the bread. Verse 17, Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? I'm like, Jesus, calm down, man. I mean, you're getting a little intense here over the whole bread fight. But why would this uh, disturb Jesus? Why would this annoy Jesus? That his disciples were worried and afraid and upset and fighting over not having enough bread. Well, it doesn't take that much Bible knowledge to understand why this would possibly annoy Jesus. Let's continue the rest of the story here. Verse 18. He said, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of what? Bread. How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Well, 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. And so do you get the irony of this situation? These guys, on two separate occasions, a lot of people don't realize this, there were two separate occasions that Jesus fed multitudes with a few pieces of bread, and some fish. On one occasion, he fed over 5,000 men, not including the women and children, with the fish and the bread. And on a separate occasion, over 4,000 men, not including the women and children, with the seven loaves of bread right there, and had baskets of leftovers. And so these guys, these 12, saw Jesus do this miracle with their eyes, and here they are, Worried about not having enough bread when you've got Jesus Christ sitting in the boat right there with you. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there was anything that I was going to worry about, even with Jesus sitting right there, having enough bread would not be what I would worry about. We're talking about, you've seen this guy multiply. He's done this before. You've seen him do this, multiply and feed thousands and thousands and thousands with just a few pieces of bread. He's sitting right there with you, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we ran out of bread. Oh, my. What are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. Jesus, help. He's like, oh, my. I I can just imagine Jesus getting annoyed with the disciples like sometimes you do with your kids. Like, oh, my gosh, do we really have to do this all over again? Do Do you understand what was going on here? He said, don't you remember even yet? And so it's kind of, it, we can laugh at them. It, it, it's kind of easy to point at them and laugh. But let's just look at our lives for a minute. How many times has Jesus done something huge in your life, and then after a while, you forget all about it? 
And then here you are facing a similar situation all over again. And you're like, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh, we better. I don't know. We better call somebody. We better we better start. What are we going to do? And you're in an absolute fit. You're fighting with your brothers and sisters over the bread. And you're the same guy that saw Jesus feed all these thousands of people. It's easy to laugh at them, but you've done it, too, haven't you? So show of hands, has anybody besides me gotten a fight over bread? Okay, I'm telling you right now, maybe not bread, but at the same time, even don't, don't ask my brother, he doesn't even like bread, right? <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, but I'm telling you, we have all been in this situation where Jesus has brought us through something, and here we are facing a similar situation again, and we're all worried and scared and full of fear. How can that be? It's because we have lost sight of what Jesus already did in the past. And you know what that makes you look like? It makes you look foolish. It makes you look silly. It makes you look like, what's going on with you? Aren't you that same guy that came in testifying to us that Jesus multiplied your bread, and now here you are worried about your bread? I mean, does that make you look like a very strong Christian when you've already been through this? You've already conquered this. You've already had Jesus handle this for you before, but we forgot. And here we are facing the same thing again, and we're worried about not having enough bread. When I worked in Oklahoma, I was in college there, and um, I worked at a self-storage facility. I, I, I cleaned out storage units, okay? It wasn't glamorous, but it paid the bills, all right? And so there was this old guy that uh, managed one of the facilities that I cleaned out, and he had a dynamic testimony of he had been healed of, I think, Hodgkin's lymphoma or whatever. I mean, the the real, really bad. I mean, he had been miraculously healed of this disease, yet all the time he was always worrying about, oh man, I feel this going on. I'll bet I've got this. And, and, oh, my elbow hurts. It must be. And just always saying stuff like this. And so this one day, one, one lady was like, wait a minute. Didn't you get healed of, like, terminal cancer, and you're worried about a headache? You're worried about a, a, tooth, a toothache? What, like, couldn't Jesus just heal you all over again? And he's like, well, well I don't want to just assume things. I, I, I don't know if it would happen again. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus already healed me of cancer once, and if it ever decided to come back, he would do it again. He'll do the bread thing again and again and again. I don't care if he healed me once, he'll heal me again. You think Jesus ran out of miracles? You think that he doesn't have any more left in uh, in heaven? Do you think that the last miracle you had took so much power that the lights of heaven were flickering because there was a power outage? No. There's plenty to go around. You're talking to the bread master here. You're talking to the miracle maker. We're talking about Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. If you get a revelation of this, and if you'll really keep the thankfulness in your heart of what he's already done for you in the past, you're not going to be in this situation fighting about bread, looking stupid in front of everybody. You're going to remember what Jesus said, and the next time you need bread, you're going to say, man, I'll just go to Jesus. He always knows how to handle this situation. Well, what if the problem you're facing, what if the situation you're facing is the biggest thing that you've ever faced yet? Maybe last time it was, you know, a little pebble you're facing. Now you're facing a mountain. Well, I'm going to do exactly what David did when he was a teenage boy. 
He had fought a, a, a bear. He'd fought a lion. He'd fought things that tried to come and take his dad's sheep. We're talking about a guy that would lay his life on the line for sheep. He says, when a, when a lion came and grabbed one of the sheep in its mouth, I took a club and beat it over the head and got the, and got the sheep back. I mean, that's very admirable, but uh, I'm not willing to do that for a sheep, are you? I mean, come on, that's kind of like, just, just let it go. Just, there's more where that came from. But, but not David, because he had the heart of his father, and his father said, watch these sheep, don't let anything happen to them. So he'd rather die than lose one of those sheep. But David, he had faced lions, he had faced bears, he had faced other predators, but then one day he faces the absolute biggest problem he's ever faced. And he, he's, we're talking about Goliath, right? And so here he is facing Goliath. Do you, and you can review this story in 1 Samuel 17, but, but David, when he's going up against Goliath, he does some very interesting stuff. And one of the things that he does that I've always taken note of is he starts talking about the victories that he's already won. Now, they were smaller victories than what he was facing here. They were smaller issues, smaller problems. But he starts remembering and starts recalling what God had already done in the past. He says, oh, man, I, I, killed, a, I killed a bear. When, I, when he came to take that sheep, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. And then he looks right at Goliath and says, and I am going to kill you today. I'm going to cut your head off and feed your carcass to the birds of the air. Right? And so what do you do? When you're facing the biggest problem yet, well, if you're smart, you start going over the victories you've already won through Jesus. Like, man, this may be the biggest diagnosis, but I remember that time that that this happened, and Lord, you came through for me. This may be the biggest bill I've ever seen, but man, I remember, Lord, that one time we didn't have enough food, and you came through right at the last minute. I remember that one time it looked like this wasn't going to work out, but then you made it work out. No different. Jesus, you're going to do the same thing right here. And the good news is, is if you're facing a big problem, then you can have a really big testimony and you can embarrass the devil in a really big way, right? And so the old saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Man, it's a great day when you've killed a giant. It's a great day when you've really beat something big and that mountain really did get thrown into the sea. And so what happens when you forget what Jesus has already done, you become fearful. And notice that also in the story of David, again, this is 1 Samuel 17, that talks about how he ran forward to meet the giant Goliath. It's like this kid had no fear at all. No fear at all. He was like a teenage kid. He wasn't even a big kid. No fear at all. He runs to the giant. Why is that? Because He was thankful and remembered what God had done. When you have a memory, when you are in remembrance of what God's already done, that closes the doorway to fear in your life. David slammed the door shut on fear stopping him from facing the giant. The more that he reminded himself, the bolder he got. The more that he brought up what God had already done, the more courageous, the more more assurance that he had in his heart that this giant was going to fall to the ground. But I'm warning you right now, if you've got fear trying to get a hold of you in your life somewhere, I I would go out on a limb and say, you probably aren't really remembering what God's already brought you through in the past. You're probably, you've, you've probably forgotten about all the things that he's already done, or at least a whole bunch of them, whether you'll admit it or not. 
But I'm telling you right now, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. And if fear is trying to stop you, if fear is trying to, 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 to pin you down, I can guarantee you that you are not in remembrance of the things that God has already brought you through. You can't scare me with leukemia anymore, that Jesus beat that out of my life. He healed my dad and all these other people. I'm not, and, and you may think that I'm bluffing right now. I'm not bluffing. I'm not afraid of that stuff. Why? I've seen Jesus again and again and again come through in these situations. I'm telling you, I believe that it's so. I'm going to tell a story that I've told a lot of times, but it's worth sharing. When I was, um, I don't know, I guess seven or so, um, I, my, we went to a vacation Bible school way out in the country at this little church. Uh, in, in the country of Indiana. In fact, me and Joe drove past that little church a couple weeks ago when we were out there. But a cute little country church, you know, painted white, white steeple, just beautiful like you'd see on a postcard. So we go to, to vacation Bible school, and I'm in the class, and the teacher reads us the story of how uh, there was the man that was lame and couldn't walk, and his friends cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down, and Jesus healed him and all this stuff. And so she's telling us this story, and me and all the other little kids are like, yay, it's awesome. You know, wow, that's what a great story. That is, and we were so excited. We were pumped up like, Jesus is our hero. And, and so then this old lady, she was old, and she, she slams the Bible and goes, boom. But you kids know that he doesn't do stuff like that anymore. I'm like, you talked to the wrong kid in that class, okay? I, you talked to a seven-year-old Pentecostal kid that had got healed of cancer. Okay, listen to me. Listen. That, and I, I mean, I just stood right up to that lady like, yes, he does. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. You're too late to tell me that Jesus doesn't heal people, that Jesus doesn't care about my problems today. He cares about my problems today. He still has the answer. I remember. I remember what he brought me through. And so I'm telling you right now, don't let anybody tell you that Jesus can't do it or that he doesn't do it. And you better not tell yourself that either. Shame on you if you're telling yourself that. So what happens when you don't remember what Jesus did? Number one, you become fearful. Number two, you become unthankful. You become unthankful. And so I'm going to look at a, a, a familiar story here. Luke chapter 17. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 17. And I shared this verse on Sunday night at our worship night. Who was here for worship night? Holy Ghost night, man. Good stuff again. That was, man, the fifth or sixth one we have. And I'm telling you, it's been incredible to see just a packed house every single time. People from a lot of different churches coming, but God, God's getting all the glory. It's been awesome. But, but this verse came to my heart that night, and I kind of shared it. And I want to look at this story again here. Luke chapter 17, verses 12 through 18. And this is where I base a lot of my beliefs of thankfulness off of, this Bible story right here. Luke 17, verse 12, it says, As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I mean, pause, pump the brakes, stop right there. Look at this for a minute. As these guys went, Jesus only said the words, 
go and show yourself to the priest. They didn't even have to get to the priest. On their way, the leprosy disappeared. I don't think, and I know you don't understand how horrific of a disease leprosy is. The skin literally rotting off of your bones, man. It is Your nose falling off. Leprosy is an awful, disgusting, terrible disease. These guys had it, and they come in contact with Jesus. Jesus is so merciful and compassionate and full of love. He doesn't even say, well, hold on now. Wait, wait. I could help you all right, but I need to hear your whole past, everything you've ever done. Spill the beans. Let's get it right now. Come on. And I know there's no secrets from Jesus. Tell me all about it. He didn't even do that. He just said, all right, go. Go to the, show yourself to the priest. And as you do, you're going to be, and so on their way there, the leprosy, this fatal, no cure for it, awful disease stops right there. And it says that, that they were, they, they were cleansed. And so look at this, verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Can can you just see Jesus in this moment like, wait a minute. I healed ten, and there's only one right here. So he says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Literally, your faith has made you whole in this moment. Look at this. And so out of this story, though, isn't that ironic? Ten guys healed of the exact same fatal, horrific disease. Only one says thank you. That's, I'm not a mathematician, but that's 10% of the people that he healed came back and said thank you. Now, that seems mind-blowing, but I've seen it today. In our 2019, people that Jesus totally bailed them out. And it was not because they deserved it. It was just because he's so merciful and loving and compassionate. Somebody that Jesus absolutely healed, pulled them up out of the ditch, whatever the case is. And they're like, oh, wow. And they just go back like nothing ever happened. They just continue on their way. I mean, that's... That's heartbreaking to me. Can you imagine, you know, I've used this example. You're, you're walking down the beach and you see somebody just out there drowning. Help, help, save me. And then somebody runs in and, and dives into the water, swims out there, risks their life, swims the guy back to shore, gives him CPR, saves his life, gets him breathing again. The guy that was about to die stands up and is like, whoa, wow, that was wild. Okay. And just walks off. Doesn't say anything at all. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, at least a thank you, at least, at least acknowledge that this just happened, at least acknowledge that you were about to die and drown in the ocean and somebody else risked their life. They could have died. They risked their life to save your life and you didn't even say thank you. Jesus literally not only risked his life, gave his life. He did die for you. He did go to hell for you. And yet a lot of people are like, oh, well, all right, well, hey, I, I believe, I believe, that's great, man. And that's it? That's all you got for Jesus? I'm sorry, but I owe him my entire life. And some people want to fight God about giving him 10% of their income. <laughs> I'm sorry, 
That's comical. I know it's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. Listen, listen to me. A tithe, that is literally the least I could give Jesus. I owe him my entire life. I owe Jesus every penny, every second, everything that I ever have, I owe to Jesus. The only perfect person that's ever lived came and died for an extremely unperfect person who didn't deserve it, not one ounce. I could, I could live a thousand lifetimes and never be able to pay Jesus back for what he did for me in this one lifetime. And so I'm telling you right now, when you forget what Jesus has done for you, you will turn into an unthankful person. And we think, oh, I mean, it's Jesus. Jesus notices. If, if thankfulness didn't even matter, how come Jesus took note of this? And said, wait, where's everybody else? Where'd everybody else go? Jesus notices who's thankful and who's not thankful. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's just something that is really worth us taking in for a few minutes here. And, uh, and, and this story, it gets me every single time. You know, Jesus, he has, a, he has emotions too. Jesus cares. Jesus wants to receive love from us. He gives love to us. But he wants us to love him back. He laid it all out there for us. You know, another thing that I kind of example that that I think of is because, you know, we've all, you know, you, well, a lot of us, you, you've been in love. You love somebody. They love you. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. All right. Good stuff. Right. And so imagine the, you know, the one that you love the absolute most. You, you know exactly what they want, what they need for Christmas but it's real expensive. In fact, I mean, it's, it's really expensive. And so you spend the next six months, the next year, saving every penny, putting things back. You're, you, you take on extra work. You sell stuff of yours. You, I mean, you're on eBay, you know, just hitting it. You're, you're doing everything you can to buy this super precious and important gift for this person that you love so much. And imagine that big day comes, and you're so excited to give it to them. You hand them this present on Christmas morning. They open it and they're like, okay, all right. Next, what else we got? Where, we, where What else we got? Like, what a jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> how dare you? And when you think about it, how precious is the gift of the blood of Jesus? How precious is the gift of that came to us in that manger. I mean, I'm getting ahead to the Christmas story now. But listen, how incredible of a gift was it that was given to us? And yet some people, they, they're like, okay, I get it. He died for me, but I really need him to give me some money right now. I really need him to get me through this. If he could just make my boyfriend talk to me again, if he could just blah, 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 blah. No thank you for being born just so he could die? Where's the thank you at? Where's the thanks? Oh, I said thank you that one time. Listen, we've got to get a hold of living a life of thankfulness and never forgetting what Jesus did for you. Even if you're sitting there, well, he's never, I've never had some big healing of cancer. I've never been delivered from some narcotic. I've never been blah, blah, blah. You've been delivered from the power of sin. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought in to the family of God. You were adopted, and God said, hey, this is my daughter right here. She's literally my daughter. 
And Jesus says, you know, Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is our big brother. Jesus is saying, this is my little sister right here. That's not miraculous enough. That's not good enough to wake up every day and say, thank you, Jesus, for letting me be a part of the family. Thank you, Jesus, that you that I get to go to heaven someday. I'm telling you right now, that's a bigger miracle than anything else you've ever heard of. But when we lose sight of what he did, we become unthankful. Let's quickly look at Psalm 30. Psalm 30. I'm going to flip there real quick. Psalm chapter 30. And we're going to look at verse 11. But the question tonight is this. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what he did for you? Don't you remember that time that you were on your very last straw and he brought you through at the midnight hour? You don't remember that? You forgot about that? Psalm 30, verse 11, says, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. That's what King David had to say. He said, I'll, I'll, he didn't say, I'm going to give you thanks for the entire next week. For the month of November, I'll post on Facebook every day a moment of thankfulness. That's a good thing. I'm down with that. But David didn't limit it to, I'll just, for the next month, man, I'm going to give thanks. He said, I will give thanks to you forever. And it's still not enough. But notice here David's attitude. He says, you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. Is anyone in here, you've been in a, you've been there. You were in a bad spot before Jesus came and turned your mourning into dancing. I've been there where he came and picked me up and turned it around 180 degrees when it looked like everything was going to be really bad. Jesus comes and turns it around and everything now is going to be really, really good. Don't forget what Jesus has already done. Don't you remember that time that he did this. Don't you remember that time when he brought you through it? You can never forget. And so the last thing I'm going to say, number three, is this. What happens when we forget, when we don't remember what Jesus did? Well, number one, we become fearful. The disciples themselves did. Number two, we become unthankful. Ten guys with a fatal disease did. And number three, you eventually become unfaithful. You will eventually become unfaithful. Now, thankfulness may not seem like that big of a a subject or a topic or an issue, but it leads to bigger things. You know, as as silly as it sounds, it's kind of a a gateway thing where it starts out with, yeah, but eventually to where you become unfaithful to Jesus. And I'm telling you, man, there's nothing worse than not being faithful to Jesus because he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. I want to be able to say that back to him and it not be a lie. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I want to be able to look at Jesus and say, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And there will be a day when I get to heaven and I will eventually see Jesus face to face. Our faith at that point will be turned to sight. On this earth, we walk by faith, not by sight. When we get to heaven, we're going to finally have our faith turned to sight. We will see Jesus. 
And I want to be able to look him right in the eyes and say, I never left you. I never forsook you. Not for money, not for people, not for popularity, not because it was unpopular to stand up for you anymore. I stood my ground. And, and you know Jesus. I'm not lying. I did. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The book of Revelation talks about when we get to heaven, there are awards. There are prizes. There are crowns, it says, that are given to the people that did what they were supposed to do down here as a Christian. And I'm telling you, when I get to heaven, I want, I want to get some of this stuff. I want some of these crowns. Well, that's selfish. You want to earn yourself a bunch of stuff in heaven? No, silly. It's not so I can accumulate a bunch of stuff. It's so when I get there to that marriage supper of the Lamb, when I get there to the presence of Jesus, I don't show up to the party empty-handed because I'm going to take those crowns, I'm going to take those jewels, and I'm going to lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, all that stuff I did down there, it wasn't so I could get to heaven. You got me to heaven. All those people I prayed for, all those people I witnessed to, all those people I brought to church, I did that so I could show up and have something to present to lay down at your feet, Jesus. I didn't do it to make myself look good. I did it for you. So, I'm, but, but the, the truth of the matter is this. If we can't even remember what God's brought us through, we will eventually reach a place of being unfaithful. And I think of, uh, you know, a lot of times in marriages that have grown cold, it's because they forget all the great times they had together. And all the things that they made it through together. You know, when Katie and I, I proposed at 18, got married at 19 and all this stuff. We're 15 years into it now. But when we, when we, when we, uh, we were getting married, I mean, people thought we were nuts, thought we were crazy. Like, you ought to experience college first. You ought to experience it. And we're like, we'll do it together. We'll experience Well, you ought, you'll, 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 you'll see hardship and, and you, you ought to learn how. We'll just face it together. Two is better than one. According to Ecclesiastes, a triple braided cord is even better. It's not easily broken. And so we have had a lot of things we've been able to make it through, and I'm glad we did it early. And we can look back and say, you know what? We went through college and all those poor times together, eating fake cheese sandwiches together. We made it, eating ramen every day for a month. Wow, our bodies were shutting down, but we did it together. We did it together. And, I, hey, no regrets. But it helps you, in the end, be faithful to the one that you love when you can look back and think of all the things that you've been through together, all the stuff you help each other get through. And so, obviously, his love for us never grows cold. There's never a moment that Jesus starts to love you just a little bit less, like, I am getting tired of this guy right now. No, his love never grows cold. And we need to be able to say the same thing. A, a kind of a, probably the craziest story in the Bible to me is the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea had a very interesting calling from God that none of us will probably ever have. I, I know I will never have it, but I pray none of you ever have it. So Hosea's calling was to go marry a prostitute. And God, God's like, okay, Hosea, here's your calling. You're going to go marry this prostitute named Gomer. And I'm like, wow, there's... This was totally, you could see all the, the red flags were everywhere right from the beginning. But the purpose of this was God knew that Gomer was going to straight up cheat and be unfaithful 
uh, Hosea because this is what she did. And so Hosea goes into this and he gives his whole heart to this prostitute. And of course, she starts going out and doing bad things. And, and, and every time Hosea's heart would break, but he would take her back. And then she'd promise, oh, never. Again. But then she'd go out and do it again. And, 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 oh, I'm so sorry. Then would go do it again. Um, and, and, and so the point that God was making is, here's what's happening, Hosea. You are representing me, and Hosea is representing, or Gomer's representing the people of Israel. They go out and cheat on me all the time with other gods, and they come back when they get beat up by those guys, and, oh, I'm hurting, please take me back, I'll never do it again. Then they go do it again. And then, so you take them back, you love them, you forgive them, and say, water under the bridge, Nothing ever happened. And then she goes out, and that's exactly what my people do to me. Now, how many modern-day Christians do the same thing? God bails them out of a bad situation. Oh, my gosh, he's my all-in-all. He's everything. I'm I'm 100% in. Count me in. And then after a while, they kind of forget about that. Next thing you know, they're out there cheating on Jesus for money. They're out there cheating on Jesus because, well, man, people are making fun of this now. I better not say anything. I, I know, I know. I'm not going to say anything, though. And next thing you know, Jesus, I'll, they, they get beat up by the world. They get beat up. That money didn't work out. It, it ran away. It slipped through their fingertips. They're, they're like the guy at the car lot and the dollar machine just trying to swat at dollar bills. You know what I mean? And, 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 they, and, the, and that runs out. So they come running back to Jesus. Hey, I got you. Come on. Nothing ever happened. I got you. And they do it again. Well, listen, that's not really how this thing's supposed to work. He'll take you back every time. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, that he will. But really, God's got better than that for you. Isn't it better if you just stick in this relationship, go the distance? No, nobody has to wander off and wander back. And, and where is she tonight? Where to go today? And you just stick together and face life together and overcome it together you and jesus doing it together isn't that the best scenario and so what happens is when we forget about what jesus did for us we fall into that same cycle into that same trap and i'm going to read you a verse here second uh, timothy two thirteen, and this verse always gets me second timothy two thirteen. it's a i mean man it's just a real real dagger Second Corinthians, or excuse me, excuse me, Second Timothy two thirteen, Second Timothy two thirteen, and Paul stumbles onto something here that is just beautiful. Second Timothy two thirteen, and so my my whole point tonight out of all this isn't to, to you know get anybody down and feeling bad about yourself. It's to say, man, look what God's done for me. Look what He healed me from. Look how he restored my family. Look how he got me a job. Look how he brought my kids back. Look how he brought me to a church that's teaching me God's word. Look how he's done all this stuff. I mean, my gosh. And so, 2 Timothy 2.13. And 2 Timothy is a very, I mean, just a very deep and kind of somber book. It's the very last thing that Paul ever wrote before he was executed by the Roman government. It's his last letter that we have. And so Paul, he's an older man. He's just being serious. He's reflecting on life. He's prophesying a little bit about what the future days are going to hold. But I like something. I can see this old man in that prison that's just been through so much. He's been beaten. 
He's been talked about. He's been accused. He's been slandered. He's been falsely imprisoned. He's been through it all. And at the end of his life, Paul can say, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. I mean, that breaks. I mean, that that just gets me right here that even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Why? Because we deserve it. Absolutely not. For he cannot deny who he is. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God that's still there for us when we deserve it, when we don't deserve it, when nobody else is. And I'm ashamed that there's been times that I've forgotten, that I've started to wander off, and I've, and I've, and I've, I've let fear come in. Oh, my gosh, bread. Oh, my gosh, this is happening. And, 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 and I'm looking at, here's the guy that God's done so much for. And I just want you to examine your life. And over the next few days, man, be thinking about what has he done for me? Is there anywhere that I'm starting to be unfaithful to him? Is there anything that I'm wandering off from Jesus that I'm holding back from Jesus? And I can tell you right now, man, no matter what, he's there for us. He's faithful even when we've been unfaithful. Because that's who he is. And so, as we move into Thanksgiving this coming week, maybe you're already there, but it's time that we start giving God some things. It's time that we wake up and not saying, God, here's what I need you to do today. But, ah, thank you, Jesus, for what you did yesterday. Man, you made it happen. You brought me through. Thank you, Jesus, that in my childhood, you brought me through a, a, a broken home. I mean, I'm just giving examples. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, that you, man, I was in an abusive relationship, but you brought me through that and you healed me and and you've got me with the right husband now, the the right wife now. Whatever it is, don't lose sight. Give thanks and let's watch ourselves because the last thing that I, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could call me at the end, but I refuse to be called somebody that was unfaithful to my family, to my wife, and especially to Jesus. Call me a lot of things. Don't call me unfaithful because I'm sticking with him no matter what. So the question as we close is, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 